0: The
1: flame the hottest podcast on the internet
0: all right those acts Los Angeles can't change the night can't change the distance I think that first acts record is one of the best albums I put it in probably one of the top 100 pop rock albums of all time actually I would maybe you wouldn't but I would what's going on everybody it's me Robert Phoenix I'm back live and in action after a uh, about a three-hour show, two-and-a-half-hour show last night over on YouTube. Going to go over a little bit more of that material from, uh, there's some leftovers. It was Easter dinner and there's some leftovers. So we're going to get into some of the leftovers today. There's a, a very good video that um, uh, Greg, what's his name, from Infowars did on Elon Musk. Gets into the same shit I got into last night. little bit more detail but the thing that really is the 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 piece that I want to play well it's the entire video I'll play the entire it's only six minutes long so we'll play that um Greg Reese that's who it is thank you I'm still waking up a little bit here um he talks about how Elon Musk did not start Tesla and so Elon Musk has rewritten everything about his past rewritten everything and he gets these NDAs so anyway we'll get into Elon Musk a little bit and there were there were a few Sagittarians that were on that list from last night I was like holy shit this guy's a Sagittarius too so there are a couple more I I, Sagittarius you've 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 got the proxy you you have not even the proxy you you have the patent on tyranny and dictatorial rule I'm just saying and I love Sagittarians I think they're great but their their morality can take it way out to the extreme and what's it, what's interesting I'll go back to this site today I'll go through it there are a number of like when they would list occupations for these various Sagittarius various Sagittarius that could be a hip-hop thing although hip hop is just it's fucking shit now hip hop was good at, at a certain point in time there was a time where i'd listen to hip hop i not it wasn't like i was like a you know i ran around with kangol with a kangol on and you know and uh whatever those boots that they wore i, I didn't i didn't i wasn't like that right it wasn't I wasn't like an urban hip-hop guy, but there were some records back in the day. Like in the uh, early 90s, you had some interesting people involved in the production of hip-hop, like Thomas Dolby, who's an electronic musician. I think he produced two Houdini albums. I know he produced one. And then I think Connie Plank produced the other Houdini album. Or if if it wasn't Connie Plank, it was Connie Plank Studio and Houdini being this this rap duo. So there was some interesting. You know, of course, you had the whole kind of craft work being sampled by Arthur Baker and uh, Bombata for Planet Rock. So there were these interesting kinds of things going on at the beginning of hip hop. If you listen to the message, it's got some really great electronic synths and. You know, there was this cool kind of crossover. There was you know, theoretically, there was Uptown, which was, well, the- you know, Harlem, but, you know, Bronx, uh, Queens. And then you had the downtown scene with CBGB and Debbie Harry and that whole thing. There was a crossover there. There was a crossover between sort of the arty punks and hip hop that was going on during that time. So there were some interesting things happening with hip hop in the late 80s. Actually, if you go back to the early '80s, that's where that's where the New York shit was happening between, like CBGB and Queens, Brooklyn, right? Because they, um, you had the Tom Tom Club doing "Wordy Rapping Hood," which I think was around '83. I think to this day it's a classic. Um, and then you have Debbie Harry referencing Curtis Blow in that song, "Moving and Stepping to Curtis Blow." who needs to dance when your feet just go with a hippity hop and a hippity ho who needs to dance when your feet just go James Brown. It's a great song. It's a great song. It kind of put hip hop on the map for the mainstream in a lot of ways. And Tina Weymouth doing an interesting kind of rhyming thing. It's a cool tune. So, so even all the way up through from that period, up into the early, late 80s and into around 90, right? Hip hop was kind of interesting. There was fresh, it was kind of funny. Like they had funny hip hop records, um, like Funky Cold Medina. That was funny. Baby Got Back, you know, it was a funny record. There was humor in hip hop. Which it seems to have completely lost the plot on. Completely. Uh, and then there was that tune, She's Just a Friend. You say, I'm just a friend, right? It was funny shit. Then you got the macho. The macho hip-hop started to come in. You had Cool Moe Big Daddy Kane, these kind of first wave. But, you know, they, they were all about boasting. It was a boasting culture. And nothing wrong with that. Will Smith comes out of that period of hip hop, by the way, he's, he's around then. So it's a boasting culture and it was fine. And there's, and then it was started to get very, it was sort of like how in the early days of rock, rock started to take all these different little paths and tributaries, you know, that was starting to happen in hip hop. And you would have different group, mostly New York was the big hip hip hop city. The, the, everything hip-hop-wise was was coming out of New York. Run DMC, Public Enemy, all those guys that I mansion, Cool Modi, LL Cool J comes out of that. And right around that time, I think in 1990, Rick Rubin is at, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Syracuse and starts to, starts to do Def Jam records and makes a shit ton of money. And LL Cool J is his big artist. And he really gets into really gets into hip-hop right it becomes it, it becomes the thing then eventually he moves into uh, deaf American goes into a like a metal phase and kind of a I think he I think Rick Rubin produced Johnny Cash record anyway so Rick Rubin is really responsible for shooting hip-hop deep into the mainstream and then MTV had Yo! MTV Raps which I used to watch because I, I would I would try to find some of these cool hip hop groups. And then right around that time, you have, um, well, the Beastie Boys were before that, but they were part of that too, right? They were these young New York punks. They were kind of punk rockers. And they just decided to sample the shit out of Led Zeppelin and do rhymes over it. It was huge, a huge success. But then NWA shows up and that's it. Even like in California, we had Digital Underground, and they, they were what they were known for the Humpty Dance. And Tupac Shakur was a dancer. He was literally a dancer in that group. He wasn't even a rapper. Eventually, he becomes a rapper. and But it was a funny record. It was a very funny record. So there was a lot of humor. Hip-hop has no humor now. None whatsoever. Anyway, welcome to the show. They have these. They have these uh, videos where these uh, young black men and women listen to songs from the 70s and the 80s, and they're like these are reaction records. I've been flirting with doing like a reaction record channel because I have so much time. Um, but me, like doing the same thing with modern hip hop, I think I would fucking kill myself after about the fifth show. What? That's that. That music is really disturbing. It's really disturbing. I'm going to find some new bands, some contemporary bands, start playing their videos on the show. Not hip hop, not the new, not the new stuff. That that I swear to God, that is music to program the shit out of you. That it's not good, not good. Slap. It's got to have slap. Slap, whatever the fuck that is all right i saw i saw I like get off my lawn guy whatever the fuck that is back in my day we had slack not slap all right what's going on hip-hop rap peak early uh what do we have some get some, get some good combo going on in the chat room let's see there she is, a lovely and talented Joan S, enjoying her day off. There's my man, Thomas. What's going on, Thomas? Sony, Wendy says, the beautiful person that she is. You guys, man, you guys are just, you just have the love flowing in the chat. I love it. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. That's the only thing. at this much. Too little. You know, you go back and listen to the songs of the '60s. A lot of, a lot of very hopeful tunes. A lot of hopeful tunes. A lot, a lot of romantic songs. I was a wee lad when that music was popular. Okay, we got who else? Do we have uh, Kabuki Theater. What's going on, C.C. Jones? Hello, Fran. There's my man, Ryan. Ryan, I hope you got a few inquiries about your, uh, your fine woodwork. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Uh, look, okay. There he is. He's, he's making it. He's planting his flag to anyone who may be interested. I now have an Instagram account featuring my art and woodworking. There it is. I think I'm back on Twitter today. We need to support our peeps. There's, uh, um, there's Mr. Mike DJMC. What's going on, Michael? Good to see you. Chris and Steve. Excellent. They're here. Morning to the Crimmies. Arlene Vega joining us. Miss Nakia. Hi, Miss Nakia. Scrubbies! Another four inches of snow. Wow. Scrubbies, I feel like you live in this alternate reality. I, I, I feel like you're living in Game of Thrones. Because every time you're on here, you're talking about snow. And it's like, man, I can't even relate to that. You're living in the Game of Thrones world. You're living in the great white north of the Game of Thrones. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Du-du-du-du-du. Lionsgate 08. Hello, Lionsgate. Uh, when it says, Robert, so on point covering New York Mayor Eric Adams, who is all over the news for calling out BLM, so appreciative of you. Well, you know. We try to practice a high degree of prescience in this area. More Happy. Hi, More Happy. I like that name. That's a good name. Flavor Flav was in... Public Enemy were interesting. Hank Hank Shockley, who was the the DJ for Public Enemy, was a Vietnam War vet. So he was older. And... the, the background sounds and noise on the Public Enemy stuff is really interesting. I have to admit, like really interesting. I like Public Enemy. I didn't like them enough to buy an album of theirs, but I liked them. I missed a decade of music, spent the 90s listening to Raffi. Oh my God, C. Pines. So you got the Raffi phase. Raffi was over by the time I became a parent. Who do we have? We have um, Lori, what's her name? She was Lori, oh man, I forget her name now because I just don't listen to her music anymore. Lori Loughner, is that her name? No, that's not Lori Loughner. That's the, uh, Lori, uh, Lori Loughner is the one who went to jail, right? I'm going to get it. Uh, Let's see, who do we have here? Lori Berkner. Lori Berkner. We used to watch Lori Berkner, who is, I think, a folk artist or singer-songwriter who went into the uh, children's music territory. Some of her songs were good. But we missed the Raffi. We also missed the Teletubbies. Unfortunately, my kid grew up on SpongeBob. Probably not a good thing. And then we got into the regular show when he was around 10 years old. 11, we got, we watched every single episode of the regular show, uh, which I really like the regular show is really funny very it. Clever. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else do we have here? Hucklebuck I always thought rap uh, like disco would, was a fad and would disappear. Well, you were right on the disco part. Rap did not disappear and it's been weaponized. I will say this and I have no problem saying this. One of the reasons why this country is in such bad shape is, is rap music. I'm, I may sound like an old white guy because I am an old white guy, but it's true. It's a music that provides very little cultural um, updraft, right? They've like found this formula and the formula is degrading. It's, it's They took the worst elements of Jay-Z, who I was never a fan of, took the worst elements of Jay-Z, doubled down, tripled down, made, made the beats and the bass like bleed into the red and uh, accentuate over accentuate the money part, the power part, the me getting mine part. That's not great. And then you throw in a bunch of like super high powered fucking weed. A lot of which has been uh, chemically altered and you have an entire wave of youth, both black and white, getting fucking stoned out of their heads, probably from a pretty early age, particularly in the black community, and then listening to this music on their headphones, or their buds with the super bass and just taking them into psychotic world. And we wonder why we're in such bad shape as a country. Rock and roll did not kill America. Rap music did. Rock and roll brought in the liberal left Right? because you have all, all those rockers from the 60s and the 70s who made a shit ton of money all of a sudden became oh so liberal like there was a record called A Concert for Campuchia and if you look into Campuchia which was originally Cambodia right and the formation of Campuchia and Cambodia it's a fucking horrible story Horrible. Pol Pot, who is a Taurus, by the way, would go down as one of the most dangerous, bloodthirsty, and um, sociopathic people ever. Pol Pot was bad news. And the interesting thing about Pol Pot was that he was – he was raised in relative uh, wealth. Like his parents were not poor. They certainly weren't rich, but they weren't poor. They actually had connections with the Cambodian government. They were Buddhist by nature. Like that didn't really serve him well. But Pol Pot was educated in France. And of course, you know, everybody back then is just dosing on Marxism. Marx this, Marx that, Marx this, Marx that. And when he... So there was always this weird thing going on in Cambodia between uh, Pol Pot and Sihanouk. And Sihanouk being the kind of the political rival to Pol Pot. I'm amazed Sihanouk lasted as long. I think he lasted longer than Pol Pot, if I'm not mistaken. And Pol Pot would at times try to bring Sihanouk back into the government because he was hated. Pol Pot was hated. First, he was feared and then he was hated. But if you follow the Pol Pot story, he's, he's educated in France and he studies, Mar- but it was clear he knew he could not figure out the economic policies of Marxism. All he knew was that it was revolutionary. So back in the day, if you wanted to get backing for something, all you had to do was go knock on Russia's door and say hey I'm a revolutionary I need some weapons and I need some support cuz we want to overthrow this government which was like okay no problem because they're involved in a planetary act of revolution it's 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 a it's change never ending change right that's what that's what it's about so he got involved in being a revolutionary and as a result of that he had very little aptitude for economics it's like let's overthrow the shit you know and let's you say that we're marxist but he clearly had no and even even if he did have some marxist um grasp of of marxist theory like could he have actually implemented it and has marxist theory ever been proven to work at any large scale level the answer to that is unequivocally no no because people aren't invested in that they're not invested in that model and the whole Marx thing was based on class right it was class warfare so in in Cambodia there was some of that because the French were there and they were living high in the hog and the Cambodians were trying to uh, wrangle some independence you know post World War II like a lot of these countries who had these colonies they were really hampered but by, by the Second World War, particularly France, because they take a big hit in Algeria. The Algerians have an uprising. Of course, they're backed by, I'm sure, third-party forces. So they take a, they t- the French take an L in Algeria. And then they take a big L in Cambodia and in Vietnam, and eventually they have to leave because they can't maintain you know, their colony and their opium trade. Oh, yeah, they made a lot of money off of that. So once the Cambodians kick the French out, because the French are hurting after World War II, they've spent all this money to defend France, theoretically, even though they didn't. Um, They spent a shit ton of money. Now they have to come back and then they have their own, after World War II, they have to deal with their own communism and their own threat from within because the French communists, the Italian communists, they loved it, they love Stalin. They're like, yeah, let's go, right? It was a big deal. So de Gaulle was anti-communist. And so he had to fight off the communists inside of his own government. So they couldn't like deal with Cambodia and Vietnam and Algeria because there was too much going on. So what are these countries doing? Like, hey, let's go. And there, I think Angola, wasn't Angola? I think was Angola Portuguese. I think Angola might've been Portuguese. But there was the French Congo. There was a the Belgian Congo. So France had to let go of that too, right? there's french guiana they couldn't maintain their colonies and they're getting flipped of course the big one was haiti and you know haiti haiti went all voodoo revolution on france but pol pot so I'm watching this I'm watching this documentary about pol pot which is why I'm talking about him so he gets married pretty young i looked at a picture pretty wife pretty wife So what happens to him? Well, he has to be in exile because guess what? He's a threat to the government. So he's in exile in the jungles of Cambodia with his wife. And I'm thinking to myself, because I don't know the full story. I'm like, wow, man, she stayed with this guy, right? Like he's in exile and they're living in the fucking jungle and they're, they're living off like jungle animals, whatever they can eat tubers I mean, that's hard fucking living there. Right, And you're the white, you got to be really committed to the fucking revolution. If you're a woman and you're in that environment. So what happens is that the North Vietnamese move into Cambodia because they're using Cambodia for, for staging territory, right? So it's like trying to hit the North Vietnamese, North Vietnam, they weren't there. And you couldn't go off to the other side of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which meant that you were going into Cambodia. Couldn't do that. Rules of engagement. So when, he, so when the North Vietnamese are in Cambodia, they're talking to him about, well, you know, we're overthrowing the South and we're doing this, we're doing that. And, of course, North Vietnam was doing business with both Russia and China who were fronting them and giving them weapons. A lot of those weapons, guess what, were made with American parts. And that's a fact. So we were supplying all the parts for Russia and China, but mostly Russia, to assemble these weapons And then give them to the North Vietnamese because they had a deal. Like, if you're in, like, okay, you're part of our, you know, greater socialist expansionist republic. So these weapons were used killing the Americans. So what the North Vietnamese would do is they would move out of North Vietnam and they would be over on the other side of um, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, right? The Ho Chi Minh Trail, you couldn't, I think you couldn't go like 50 miles to the other side of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which would put you, I think in Cambodia. So they were smart. They were outsmarting the, the U S. So eventually Nixon goes in and starts bombing Cambodia. He's like, fuck it. You guys are over there. I'm gonna start to carpet bomb Cambodia. What happens to uh, Pol Pot's wife? She goes insane. I, I mean, you, you think you're marrying this really nice uh, sort of Buddhist Marxist influenced son of some reasonable means because his parents knew, uh, whoever was running Cambodia at the time, like, oh yeah, this is this is a good career choice. In actuality, big time fail, big time fail. Anyway, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you for being here. I put the podcast up after I do this video portion of 15 Minutes of Flame at 15 Minutes of Flame, and that is 15minutesovflame.com. We do have a live chat here. And just the, when I use the word nice, it's usually pejorative, but I'm going to use it in the, in the, in the way it's the nicest group of people you'll ever meet or in that chat room right now. Hearts of gold. Doesn't mean they're pushovers. They're not pushovers, but they've managed to transcend their life difficulties and shine a brighter light. So come on and join us. It's a cool place to hang out. All right, let's get into this. Um, Elon. I do want to talk about the proxy war cause it's in the headlines. And that's exactly what's going on right now. So whatever is happening in Ukraine with Russia, the U.S. is involved. They've got a big staging area in Poland. They've got a bunch of troops in Poland. They've got um, army intelligence in Poland. You have England and the EU and NATO. I think Germany is doing a deal for arms with Ukraine. And so, so... there's a war going on and we're in on it, okay? We're not just sitting back and trying to pump propaganda dough. No, we're sending intel. There's a bunch of shit that, that is happening, right? So we're in a war. They just won't tell you that. They won't tell you that. You no, know, people say, well, there's nothing. There is something going on there, okay? There is something going on. Sometimes what's going on is hard to understand because it is the fog of war. And we have reached this close to the pinnacle. I don't think we're there yet, but we're close to the pinnacle of deception and illusion through the media. Very close. We're not quite there. I don't don't think we understand just how illusory this shit could actually get. All right. But there is a proxy war going on, Um, which I will get back to. Right now I want to I wanna play this video from Greg Reese of InfoWars. And this is a this is a follow up on the Elon Musk stuff that I was talking about last night. Let me just find it here. Okay, here we go. So it's a six and a half minute video. I like I like Greg Reese's work on Infowars. I think he does a pretty good job. I've always liked his videos. I think I think um, Alex plays them at the beginning of the show. By the way, Infowars has just declared bankruptcy, and it's just it's a legal move to fend off the um, the Sandy Hook lawsuit. all right so let me play this it's a pretty good video and this gets into everything that i was talking about last night and then some let's do this
1: pop culture has touted elon musk as some sort of eccentric heavyweight genius with humble beginnings. But this is demonstrably false. Elon Musk was born in South Africa, where he claims he grew up extremely poor. But his family owned an emerald mine. As a teenager, Elon would trade emeralds for cash in New York City. And his father bragged how they had so much money, we couldn't even close our safe. Musk claims to have had about $100,000 of student loan debt. But he received a full scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania, where he bought a 10-bedroom frat house with his friend Adeo Resi and ran an illegal nightclub. The pop culture claim is that Elon has an IQ of 155. But this has never been tested, and after being accepted into Stanford for PhD studies, he dropped out after two days. After dropping out, Elon began his first business venture with his brother Kimball, Zip2, which was essentially a digital version of the Yellow Pages. The brothers received tens of thousands of dollars from their parents, and yet Elon denies this. An associate of Elon's father, Greg Curry, got involved to bring in investors. But Elon's code was no good, so they had to hire on professional coders to rewrite everything. Zip2 was then sold for $307 million to Compaq, who later shut it down without ever earning a profit. Elon made $22 million, bought a $1 million McLaren F1 supercar, which made mainstream news, before he totaled the uninsured vehicle. Musk then went on to create an online bank, X.com. He partnered with banking expert Harris Fricker, Edward Ho, and Christopher Payne. All three ended up leaving the company after accusing Elon of lying to the media about the quality of their product. Elon claims he founded PayPal, Before the company was named PayPal, it was known as Confinity. It was founded in 1998 by Peter Thiel and Max Levchin. After losing millions of dollars, Elon's X.com was bought by Confinity in a merger in 2000. All Musk contributed at Confinity was his own power struggle. He made himself CEO and pushed to change the name to X.com. The executive team successfully petitioned to fire Musk while he was away on vacation. Part of Musk's resignation agreement stipulated that all references to founders of the company will be removed from their website, allowing Elon to claim credit, which so far is all he has ever achieved. Peter Thiel then rebranded the company as PayPal, went public and sold to eBay for $1.5 billion. Elon made 180 million from the deal, which he then invested into Tesla, SpaceX and failed company SolarCity. Elon falsely claims to be the founder of Tesla. Tesla was founded in 2003 by Mark Tarpening and Martin Eberhard, who developed the Tesla Roadster. When Tesla Motors began looking for venture capital, they approached Elon Musk, who had the fake credibility as PayPal's co-founder. Musk joined with the condition that he be named chairman of the board. In emails, Musk was upset that the media was not giving him credit for Tesla Motors, and went after Martin Eberhard replacing him as CEO. He then forced Eberhard out of the company and rewrote the company's history to have himself listed as an original co-founder. Martin Eberhard, the man behind the Tesla Roadster, was promised the first Roadster off the assembly line. But Musk screwed him over on that as well and sent that car into space.
0: You can tell it's real because it looks so fake, honestly.
1: (laughs) So who is Elon Musk? Elon describes his father as being an evil, abusive man. His father, Errol Musk, has been accused of being a pedophile and fathered a child with his stepdaughter, who is 42 years younger than him. This spoiled, narcissistic failure, son of accused pedophile, wants to put computer chips in everyone's brain so that we can merge with artificial intelligence. His girlfriend is now bragging how this could all lead to a communist utopia And strangely enough, former Nazi and head of NASA, Werner von Braun, predicted a man named Elon would conquer Mars in a 1952 novel that he wrote. Which is odd, because NASA has partnered with Elon SpaceX to work towards colonizing Mars. Elon Musk, like everything else in today's modern society, is a fraud, a fake genius, just like fake philanthropist Bill Gates and his fake vaccines brought to you by the fake news. Here's a pro tip for dealing with the mainstream media and all of pop culture. Assume it's a lie and research everything. For Infowars.com, this is Greg Reese. All right, that
0: was a very solid breakdown of Elon Musk. So one of the other things he has in common with Bill Gates is that Bill Gates was a shitty coder. He was, he he, Bill Gates would have been nothing without Paul Allen. That's number one, who he tried to screw over when Paul Allen had cancer. Bill Gates took advantage of that and tried to get back a lot of his stock that Paul Allen had. What he was a fucking scumbag. And then, of course, Bill Gates's father, who worked for Boeing, was solidly in his corner and was the guy who put up the money to get the basic template for Microsoft Word and Windows, right? That was, they, they, they bought it from some dude for like 20 grand. And Elon Musk just, you know, not Musk, I'm sorry, Bill Gates just outsourced somebody to clean up the code. Kind of like Elon Musk, right? The, the Emerald thing is interesting too, because it links into the Wizard of Oz and the Emerald City like Elon Musk is the wizard of Oz. He is totally the wizard of Oz, the great Oz. And you pull back the curtain and, you know, he's just some dork with a bad hairline who has uh, plugs in his hair. So anyway, I thought that was interesting just in terms of being able to uh, get more confirmation about what I was talking about last night. I do think he does have some inventive potential. And I'm not here to, I'm just going to chart, but by and large, he's found the easy way out. I think it's also interesting that he went to Penn, which is Donald Trump's school. Cause that's where Trump went. He went to the university of Pennsylvania and then they do, they, he did what they normally do, which is drop the fuck out and start getting that good VC money. I was there. I was on I was on the ground when all this VC cash was flooding into the Bay Area in the 90s. It, it, was, it was like it was a boom town. It was for half-baked ideas, totally half-baked. And and really it was it was the people who were doing the arbitrages that were making the big fucking money. Because they were going in and they were basically flipping these com- companies, right, and taking them public. And these were pump and dumps. So these companies would have really high initial, you know, the IPO would be really high. And the people that were setting up the arbitrages, they they had no limits as to what they could do with their founder shares, which were really cheap. They were getting like founder shares, like pennies on the dollar. So when a stock price would open up at like $20 a share and they've got 10,000 shares at a penny, right? Or 50, whatever, whatever it was, it was big money. And so you had people like Solomon Brothers and Bear Stearns, and they were going through and setting up these arbitrages through, through the uh, dot com era, and they were making a shit ton of money. And they didn't care. They didn't care whether those companies succeeded or failed, because I've said this before, when you got VC money, you had one year to use it. If you didn't use it, it returned, went back to the VC, right? And the VC, of course, had a stake in your company, So if you didn't use it, they would just wind up taking over your company. You didn't want that to happen now, did you? So they brought, they brought a lot of half-baked ideas, spent a shit ton of money on DJs and parties. It was, it was a big money laundering scam actually. And so there were some companies that actually had like decent working ideas. Like there was this one company that I was interested in and they, they were, they were the first company to go in and give, like if you wanted to buy a house, you could go in through this website and you would basically get a 360-degree view of the house on the inside. It was pretty cool. It was a little disorienting, but it was pretty cool. And I thought that was a company. I said, this, is, this technology will get snatched up. Somebody will take this technology. And, um, you know, one of the real, one of the real estate companies – that would be an online real estate company would would probably grab this thing. I think that's exactly what did happen. Anyway, uh, he comes out of that world. You know, that's the pump and dump world. And he's done the same thing with cryptocurrency. I'm not a, not a huge fan, but he's, he's the geek savior and somehow this libertarian force for truth. Uh, don't buy it. Not for a minute. Okay, let me just go back to some of these famous Sagittarians from last night. There's a couple that I left out that were kind of mind-blowing. Rahm Emanuel is a Sagittarius. Is he a little fucking dictator? Haile Selassie is a Sagittarius. Another dictator. Sagittarius has the... uh, It's got the celestial genetics for for being dictatorial. Uh, Who else? There was somebody else that was interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Uh, Kaganovich, who was Stalin's butcher, was also a Sagittarius. His right-hand man, a butcher. Sagittarius. There's somebody else that was in here, it was kind of interesting. There's a lot of Nazis in here. Let's see. Uh, I think Kaganovich is right at the top of the list here. Yeah, but I found out Kaganovich, um, Haile Selassie, and Rahm Emanuel after the fact. Viktor Chernov, political leader, Russia. A lot of revolutionaries. A A lot of Zionists, too, in the whole Sagittarian camp. Still love you, Sagittarius. This does not... This does not tarnish my love for the sign. Any sign, really. I'm in love with all of you. Let's see. Is there anybody else here? Because I went through this whole list again. There's like over 500 people on this list. I just saw Kaganovich, Archduke Maximilian Francis of Austria, Sagittarius. There's a big uh, Showstopper right there. Who else? I should probably show you the list while I'm doing it. At least to give you something to look at besides me. Here's the list. Hassan Khomeini. Political cleric. That's a that's a good job for Sagittarius. Political cleric. Uh who do we have here? Imad Mugniye, military chief. He looks like a military chief. I'm trying to find Kuganovich just to show you. Sheila Copps. Oh, this is my favorite guy right here the Wizard of New Zealand. <laughs> He's the best. He's the best of the bunch. He was born in London, December 4th, 1932. Comedian, teacher, and magician. This is my favorite Sagittarian right here. The wizard of New Zealand. You think he's a bit of a dictator? He might be. He might have a magical kingdom that he's a dictator of. Clairborne Pell. Oh yeah, there's this guy, Yitzhak Zvi. born in Ukraine was a historian and labor Zionist leader who served as the president of Israel from 1952 to 1963. His father was one of the organizers of the first Zionist Congress in 1897. Benz V studied at Kiev University for one year before dropping out. There's a pattern here with the dropouts. I did not drop out, by the way. Dropping out to co-found the Russian Pole Zion movement, he was awarded the Bialik Prize. So, the roots of Zionism come out of Ukraine. How about that? Does that surprise you? Sagittarius. Uh, let's see. Revolutionary. Russian revolutionary, Georgi Plekhanov. Revolution, Russian revolutionary and Marxist theorist, Georgi Plekhanov was remembered for establishing Liberation of Labor, the first Russian Marxist organization. One of his best-known works was Socialism and Political Struggle. He later went against the Bolsheviks and Lenin and criticized their policies. Support He supported the Entente powers during World War I. So one of the things that we find out again and again with these guys is that they split off, they fragment, they all have their little flavor of Marxism, you know, the Leninists, the trotskyites the bolsheviks all kind of the same there but even within that group they have these these variegated strains of marxism then you have stalin and stalinism and then they wind up eating their own they will eat their own because nobody can live up to the ideal nobody period end of story so they go after each other you'll see that again and again and again This guy used to play pro football. John Runyon, he was a tackle. He played for the Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titans, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Daniel DeLeon, socialist. Hey, how about that? Imagine that. Lenore Zahn, member of parliament for Cumberland, Colchester. Let's see. We got a Chinese military general and Confucian scholar Zeng Guofan is best remembered for his efforts in crushing the Taiping Rebellion. Apart from being a court scholar of the king rulers, it's a very Sagittarian role, by the way. He also served on various prominent boards. His writings have been preserved as a collection of 156 books. This motherfucker was prolific. 156 books. Wow. TV soon. Born to industrialist Charlie Sung, TV Sung, was educated at Harvard. He initially funded the Nationalist Party, set up the Central Bank of China. He choked to death on a piece of chicken at a dinner party. They probably just all looked at him. Do you want to help him? No. Do you want to help him? No. No. He's, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, he's looking around for people to help him. No. Yeah. Yeah. You're on your own. You know that that's how that happened. Because in real life, and I, this is this has nothing to do with anybody who's actually Chinese and watching this or listening to this. Because if you're 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 probably a pretty good person, but by and large, in mainland China, they don't give a fuck. I've heard many stories. One firsthand of somebody that I knew who was traveling through China. He was on a bus, and they had a flash flood. It was like one of those buses that you. Take from the airport to the rental car region. One of those buses wasn't like a big city bus. So it was a flash flood, and this guy was this guy was he was caught in the flood. And the bus was stopped in the flood waters, couldn't do anything. Nobody was trying to help the dude. So he actually pulled one of the windows down, climbed out of the window, went into the water, and saved this guy. Nobody else was doing anything. Sort of like, nope, sorry. Tough luck, buddy. Tough luck. So you could just imagine at the dinner party where TV soon is choking on the chicken. You're just like, "Mm, you know, you mm, know, watching him turn blue, you know, seeing his eyes get crossed. I was like, okay, who's moving up? Who's taking his place? Zippy. Zippy Hotevli. Zippy is born in Israel. William Simon. I remember this guy. Secretary of the Treasury. From Paterson. It's a Patterson, but it looks like it's Paterson. We got uh, this guy, president of Guatemala. Oh, Petra Kelly. Remember her? She started the Green Party. Sagittarian. This guy's a cold. This guy, Edward Almond. Edward Almond, senior officer, Luray, Virginia. He's an American. He looks creepy. Uh, Danny Tarkanian, Jerry Tarkanian's son. I guess he was a politician. Let's see. That guy looks creepy. Vasily Blayuker, Vasily Blayuker, military commander, Russian Empire. Didn't live very long. Probably a good thing. Uh, Duarte. He was the president of El Salvador during the tumultuous years of the Salvadorian Civil War. Uh, and had witnessed mass killings of civilians by the army. So a guy like this, this is interesting, though, he was supported by the U.S., he failed to remove poverty from his country and ended up being ousted by arena. So a guy like this, Duarte, has to fend off the communists. They're always nipping at your fucking heels, right? Because they're, they're fired up by class struggle, class warfare. Whoa, hey, that's a little bit loud there. little loud. Yikes. Holy smokes. Give me a second here. I can't let that happen again. Okay. So this is what happens. You get somebody who theoretically wants to do right by the people. And who do they have to fend off? It's usually the same group, but dressed in, you know, different uniforms. So you have the communists who are are great for stirring up shit and rebellion and revolution and making it all about the class, right? Class warfare, especially in Central and Latin American countries. Then you have the multinational corporations who want to get in and get you the fuck out and have like a banana republic. Which is what Guatemala, the whole story of Guatemala is a banana republic and United Fruit running Guatemala. So they have to deal with either the communists, who, by the way, are probably funded in a large part by some of these groups, right? Some of these multi, you know, these global multinational groups. They'll fund the communists because it's like, oh, well, you want help with the communists? Well, we'll help you. Just, you know, get on our train and we'll make sure that you have enough weapons. They'll get back by the U.S., right? We have to go in and do business. Let us do business there. We got you covered. It's, you know, I think for the most part, it's a it's an extortion scheme. And so you have somebody like Duarte, and we saw this in Argentina, right? Who had, obviously, some uh, American mercenaries and, um uh, consultants to deal with the communist insurgency. What do they do? They started disappearing people. So what happens now it starts this brutal cycle, right? Because once, once you do things like that, now the proletariat look around and say, well, they really are fascistic. They really do hate us. And we really do need a revolution, right? So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But then if, if you give the communists a seat at the table They just take more. They're like a fucking black hole. And then they take over and then they turn everything into shit. And then the multinational corporations come in. That's what what they did with Africa. Because they know it doesn't work. But globalism is not the answer either. I've talked about this many times. Globalism is not the answer. Macron is a Sagittarius. I saw it. He's in here. Look at this guy. <laughs> he looks like a cartoon character. Velopili Prabhakaran. And a lot of these dictators, they look really fucking out of shape. Like, this guy has not missed many samosas in his life. Alpaslan, Turkis is a Cypriot. That guy looks like an alien. Stephen Donnelly. He's Irish, an Irish politician. Most of these people are fucking, they're Marxists. Most of them are almost all Marxists. Walton Walker from Belton, Texas. He was born in 1889 and died in 1950. All right, I got got to get to the... uh, the real criminals here. This guy looks like a fucking another sociopath, Miles Dempsey. You can just tell that this dude is into like weird sex. He's a bottom. This guy's a bottom, but sometimes he likes to play the top. You can just tell, you know, who else is in here? I'll show you in a second. So I was like 500 deep into this list last night. I kept going after the show. Look at this dude, Carl Renner. Politician, librarian, diplomat, lawyer. Born into a humble family of wine growers. He studied law and began his political career with the SDAP. I think the mustache. He's got a mustache. For those of you who are not seeing this live, he's got, a, it's not a handlebar mustache. It doesn't go up, but it looks like, like two wings coming off the side of his face and it's very thick. Right. And then he's got the bottom part. So he's got a full on combination uh, Van Dyke and the handlebar mustache without the upturned handlebar. And then he's rocking a monocle. This dude has the look right here. Let's see. Tom Tancredo, Colorado, Sagittarius. Who else do we have? I got to get to the the real money shots here. Uh, Marion, Marichelle Le Pen. So we have a Le Pen born in 1989, Sagittarius. Um, Let me just keep going here. Ron Dellums, this guy, Ron Dellums, when he was mayor of Oakland, I think he was in a coma for like the last two years of his, nobody saw him. Nobody saw Ron Dellums. He was completely MIA. It was weird. I was living in Oakland at the time. Nobody saw him. Judy, second chairman, standing committee, national people's Congress. Agnes Chow, Ann Lucien Benino Aquino, this is a senator of the Philippines, right? This is the guy that got ousted in the Philippines. Marcos kicked his ass out. Then his wife, Corazon, wound up running the country for a while. This dude totally looks like a SS Nazi officer, Amon Geth. All right, I got to get to the money. There's my man, Dave Bing, he used to play for the Detroit Pistons. I have a Dave Bing story. So when I was a kid, I was into all these Detroit teams, although I, w- I had never been to Michigan. It started with the 1968 Detroit Tigers who had Denny McLean as their pitcher, who I thought well, I was a badass. And then the, the Tiger team that I was really into wound up winning the World Series. I'm like, man, I'm on a roll here. Like the, the team that I start to follow and get into, they, they not only do they win the World Series, they defeat the Cardinals after being down three games to nothing. That never been done before ever in World Series history. So I started getting into these Detroit teams. And I started to follow the Detroit Red Wings, even though I'd never seen a fucking hockey game in my life. Uh, the Detroit Lions and the Detroit Pistons. And Dave Bing was a member of the Detroit Pistons. And he went to, I believe, Syracuse University. And there was a draft. I think it was the... Um, was it the Lew Cinder draft? It might have been the Lew Cinder draft. Where I think Lou cinder was the number one. And I think Cassie Russell, who was an okay player. I think he was number two. And I think Dave Bing might have been the third pick. And Dave Bing was really good. Anyway... I remember one time looking at the stats in the the sports pages, and Dave Bain was like maybe the third or fourth highest scorer in the league. And right behind him was Jerry West. I'm like, I don't want Jerry West to pass up Dave Bing in scoring. and scoring. This is a true story. I shit you not. It's a true story. I said, I hope Jerry I hope Jerry West breaks his leg. Hope he breaks his leg. I shit you not. It was either the next day or the day after. I think he either wrecks his knee or breaks his fucking leg. And so Dave Bing finishes higher than him. Now, I didn't realize that Dave Bing could have trailed off and gone below Jerry West, but he didn't. So Dave Bing, you owe me one. Black Kettle. that's, That's a cool name. Black Kettle. People should have names like that. Just get get rid of the Anglican names. Black Kettle. What what, what would I be? Uh, how about Analog Mike? I kind of like that because it could be Analog Mike, like M I K E, but M I C. Dolores Ibaruri, the great Aga Khan, Sagittarius, Ramya, actor and politician. Looks like Ramya has done a few Bollywood flicks. We're getting there. Is it John Runyon listed twice? I guess I want people to... uh, Oh, this guy, Tiger Mask, who's known as the Bruce Lee of wrestling. There's a dude I know on Facebook who's obsessed with this guy. He's obsessed with Tiger Mask. He's also obsessed with tigers. No, he's not Joe Tiger. Whoops, went back here. Come on, go back. Oh. Damn you. Damn you. Here it is. Loading posts. How far did we go last time? We got to Joe Weeder, Janet Napolitano. We covered her. There's this dude with the hat. Man, that hat is badass. George Schultz. Let's see. Right after I stopped, I think it was around somewhere around here. Chuck Schumer. <clears throat> we, George Moscone, John Lindsay. Yes. we were here. Tom Vilsack. There's Stalin. Yeah, I didn't get to Stalin. So Stalin, Sagittarian, Tom Daschle. I think I did get to Stalin because I covered Daschle. I did get to Shane Weitzman. Yeah, we covered him, right? Blagojevich, we covered him. LaGuardia, we covered him. So we were a hundred deep into this thing. There's Maduro, who I talked about. Susan Collins, fucking traitor. Uh, let's see. John Allen, we covered him. This is the guy that took, I think we stopped at him. He took over for Betrayus. Yeah, stop. Here's Brezhnev. The, he is Brezhnev has the scariest unibrow I've ever fucking seen. Look at this thing. It looks like one of those jungle caterpillars. You know, everything is bigger in the jungle because of all the oxygen. That's why everything's bigger in the jungle, by the way. It's all the oxygen. Bugs are bigger. Everything's bigger because of the oxygen. So he's got like this Amazonian poisonous caterpillar living on his eyebrows. He's born the 19th of December, still on the 18th of December. There were a few others down here. Zumwalt, remember him? The Admiral. Strom Thurmond lived to be 100 and fucking two years old, 101 years old. People thought he would never, ever die and get out of uh, the Senate. There's Rahm Emanuel. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Nicknamed Rombo, You know, I'd like to box him. I think he's missing fingers. No, nonsense. Busby Berkeley. Busby Berkeley was probably a fucking tyrant with all those musicals. Look at him. He was, he he had to be a tyrant. You had to be tyrannical to get those people to, you know, do that shit over and over again. Right. That wasn't just one take material. Rehearse, 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 take, take, take. You know, if one person was out of step or out of line, it shoot it again. He looks like a thug. Donald Reagan, Mary Landrew, Duncan Hunter. Let's see. This guy is the guy that was it run, runs that uh, that program. He he's the Shadowgate guy, James L. Jones and his son. Jim Jones, December 19th, 1943. That's Mr. Shadowgate. This is the guy that took the technology from the DOD and applied it to politics. Yeah, it's this guy right here. Harry Reid, Rudolf Hess, or Haas. Let's see. (laughs) We got to get to Macron. It's so another Bollywooder. Saakashvili, right? Tbilisi, that's where uh, Stalin is from. He's the head of Georgia. Another Sagittarian. Lin Bao. Remember her? La Chicolina? La Chicolina? remember her? Lona Stoller, Jeff Koons, his wife, Sagittarius. There he is right there, Lazar Kaganovich. This is who I wanted to point out. Lazar Kaganovich, what do you see in there? If you take off the Ovich, you have Kagan. The Kagans are descended from this guy. Lazar Kaganovich was a Soviet administrator. And politician remembered for his close association with popular politician, revolutionary Joe Stalin, he was his right hand fucking man. This is the guy that was, guess what, in charge of the whole in the door. Ganovich helped Stalin reach the peak of his success by eliminating those who were considered a threat to Stalin's regime. He also played a key role during the Great Purge, assigning over 180 lists that caused the deaths of many. That's not 180 people. That's 180 lists of people. He's a Sagittarian. There is Macron right there. Another little fucking dictator. Oh, look, Andy Cuomo. All right, I think I've made my case. There's this asshole, John Kerry. A lot of these Sagittarian guys are, are bald. Stacey Abrams, president of the earth. Sagittarian. Remember this Paul Simon guy? He was always wearing fucking bow ties. Okay. I think that's it. So now I'm not sure if this is the case, but let me, just look at this. This, I think this is a, a, a Kagan reference. I have to just look at this just for a second. Now This is one of those things where I'm, Just going on the fly here. Okay. So I think that the name Kurgan is connected to Kagan. It's just a leap in my head. Just a leap. Let me see this. Okay, we're getting closer here. So the Keegan is a cryptographic key. And you use to unlock a software illegitimately. Interesting. So Kagan, Keegan, and Kagan being K E Y G E N, right? Okay. So I'm just trying to make this connection between Kurgan and Kagan. So we have Atlanta Kagan. We have the Kagan family. Let me show you the Kergan. Let's do this. So Kurgan is spelled K-U-R. G-A-N. So it's a little bit closer to Kagan. So the Kurgan is a character from the Highlander. This is a funny scene. So I'll play you a scene with the Kurgan driving through the streets in York. Um, this is Clancy Brown, who would later become a voice on SpongeBob, playing the Kurgan. Is this it right here? That's right here. Okay, let's play this. If you haven't seen Highlander, it's one of my guilty pleasures. Everything else after the first movie is shit, but this one is really good. Here's the Kurgan, played by Clancy Brown.
1: the sprinkler. it also left a man- body lying on the floor next to his own severed head, a head which at this time has no name. I know his name. mother de
0: There you go. Clancy Brown as the Kurgan. Probably one of the best villains of all time in cinema. And having the spirit of the Kagan, I think, buried in there. I don't think it was a clear cipher, but sometimes this is how these things work. Sometimes it happens at a very deep level. And people wind up channeling the spirit of a particular individual, group, or entity, right? The whole story behind the Highlander is nuts, how it got made. Some kid at USC came up with with the synopsis and plot treatment for this movie. And somehow, he got hooked up with an agent. And the agent, I think, knew Sean Connery. And Sean Connery read the script. He's in the movie, by the way. He read the script. and Says, "I love it. I, w- I want to be in it. I love the film." So they got Sean Connery attached to the script, and that's how you get movies made. You get an actor attached to the script. You're, you're more than halfway there. And it's just one of these movies that, like, if you're a screenwriter in LA, you're hoping. I don't know. I don't think you can do it now. You could never. You could not make. Highlander now, unless of course the Highlander was black. I'm sorry, it may be a woman. You could get it done now. That could get greenlit, but you couldn't do that movie today because Connor McLeod would have white privilege, right? And the one black guy who's there at the end, where everybody is at the final, the final battle, there is a black guy that dies. Ramirez, who is Sean Connery, an immortal Spaniard, he dies. But he died long long before that. He died way back in the day when he was a mentor to Connor McLeod. Great movie. Anyway, it just it's one of those weird things. Even Queen, who does the soundtrack for it, like they they got on board. It was it was I would love to see the dude's chart who Wrote the screenplay, and it wasn't even a screenplay. It was like a synopsis and plot treatment, and it, it got. And he and he had he had points on the movie, he, so there was no money involved. But the movie did really, really well. They made two sequels, if I'm not mistaken, plus a TV series. It's like the guy never had to make another fucking movie again. Highlander. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. That 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 automobile sequence. I hadn't seen that in a while with uh, the woman who's in the car screaming her head off. It's kind of brilliant. And especially at the end when he's going across the bridge. And if you're listening to this, some great visuals there. There was all these sparks coming off the car and the bridge. Uh, Russell Mulcahy was an underrated director. Okay. Um, I think we're out of here for today. Um, uh, you know, just a bit of a follow-up on last night's show. As far as the proxy war stuff goes, it's happening. This is what the United States has been involved in for a very long period of time. And this is a hard part about being American American. Okay. I'm just gonna be right up front with it. Because you know that the country is involved in dark and shady shit and has been for a long time. And if you're awake, right, you cannot be you cannot be blind to what goes on here and what they're doing. The the soporific is to just not think about it. Look the other way and make America great again. So you have all these people who are in the whole make a, make America great again kind of movement, which has morphed into this Christian thing. Maybe I'll talk about that tomorrow. I'll talk about the Christian thing tomorrow. I'm not anti-Christian, by the way. I'm not anti-Christian. I, I think that there are some very good values there. Um, and if we really all truly live like real Christians, real Christians, we're talking like Essene Christians, the world would probably be a much better place, much better place. But we don't. So what we have is we have a bunch of mega churches and we have a bunch of uh religious traders and now it's becoming exclusionary. I'm not going to get into it. We only have five minutes left in the show. But it's becoming exclusive. I think I have a little more than five. I started a little bit late today, didn't I? I think so. Maybe, well, I'll do tomorrow because it's something for me to talk about tomorrow. It's just, I have a, I've been witnessing this now with this truth movement. I'll do a teaser for tomorrow. So when, when you go back and look at the truth movement, quote unquote, truth movement, there were people around way back in the day, like going back into the early 2000s, coming up into the 2010s. That's where somebody like Michael David Steele begins to emerge. I wasn't aware of Michael David Steele until, um, I don't know, maybe around 2014 or something like that. I think it was around – actually, it was before then. It was – I think I knew about him in 2011. That's when, he, that's when he first came into my awareness. So you have a lot of these people. And Back then, it was like Webster Tarpley, Michael David Steele. These are kind of old-school truthers, Um But they weren't necessarily Christian. I think Eustace Mullins might have still been around, but he was old. He he had a long run. Eustace Mullins had a long run. So you had all these people who were kind of on the truth tip, but I wouldn't call them Christians. They were either ex spooks. Ted Gunderson was part of this kind of wave, right? This goes way before. So in the truth world, there were people who were on YouTube who were Christians and they really got into the symbolism of things. Like there was some great Christian cryptographers and decoders, but they always had the Christian thing. It was always like, okay, well, this is, you know, where the devil is. Right. But then you also had these other guys who were part of this kind of first wave of truth in the internet right? Just as YouTube is about to emerge in 2011. But the Christian thing is not tied to it. You fast forward, go back to last summer where Robert, it, it's, it just seems like it's weird that it was last summer, but it seems like it was just yesterday. Um, but also a long time ago too. It's weird. Time is weird now, but they had that make that make America. What's well not make America great. Whatever his tour, Right his disaster of a tour with Sasha Stone. And by the way, Clay Clark has now piggybacked on that and worked out all the kinks and is making a shit ton of money off these tours. They're like revivals. I'll talk about this tomorrow. Um, But Robert David Steele, and I'm going to leave it here. He's a pivotal person because somewhere during this tour, He becomes a born again, and it's Jesus this and Jesus that, and he needed to. You know why? Because he saw that that's what the majority of the people who wanted the message were, that they were God-fearing Christians. Now, I don't know if he actually did that because he was having a true conversion experience. I don't know. But I do know that that became his main talking point and he had all these Christians with him on tour, right? So the, the Robert David Steele moment in this tour is a big pivot because what it does is it takes Christianity and puts it at the top of the truth pyramid. And I'm going to talk about the ramifications of that tomorrow and why ultimately I think it's dangerous. And I'm not here to bash Christians, you know, I'm not. There's something beautiful about Christianity in a pure sense that I completely respect, but it has become commodified. And now if you're not Christian enough inside the truth movement, you're not going to get invited to these conferences. And that's a fact, Jack. So anyway, we'll be back tomorrow and uh, we'll get into this. Thanks for being here. We do have a little bit of a a donation link here on the show page. And uh, by the time you see the show tomorrow, I will have a link up to order some of the best CBD products I've ever had through my friend, Christopher Lynch, who uh, lives in Austin. He just sent me a little packet of his CBD uh, nighttime gummies. Let me just tell you. Fantastic. Fantastic. If you want to fall asleep, his CBD nighttime gummies are the bomb. The B-A-L-M bomb. All right. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Have a happy Monday. I think today and tomorrow, based on last night, what we saw with the chart of the moment. Could get a little heavy. Use your head in order to serve what's real. Your heart too stable and what's possible. We're in it to win it together. I'm Robert Phoenix. Bye for now.